Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Hallelujah. Colossians chapter 1, we'll start there. I'll read three scriptures real quick, beginning with verse 12. Hallelujah. Anybody love the Lord? Now notice what it says, verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet. That word, that's the word able. Don't get tripped up by that word. Able to be partakers. Now look, listen, look at that word. Partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. You say, who's that? That's us. Everybody say, that's us. So God has called us to be partakers of the inheritance. Now that's that inheritance that Jesus got which the Bible says we are heirs and joint heirs with Him. Oh, somebody ought to get happy. Now, John 10.10 says, The thief comes not not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life. Everybody say life. And that you might have it in abundance. Now, God, through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, through redemption, we've been studying it and studying it and studying it. His, his incarnation, his, his, his ministry, His death, burial, His resurrection, His ascending to the Father, His him receiving of the Holy Ghost, pouring it out, the church beginning. God wants us to partake of His life. That's the word zoe. Everybody say zoe. And that's the type or the quality of life in which God Himself enjoys. Now let me say that again. That's the quality of life. Now, the next scripture connects to that. It says, who, the who being God, God hath delivered us from the power of darkness. I'm telling you, that's why we're having trouble, church. We let these truths just kind of go by us. We let them kind of, well, yeah, sounds good to me, Brother Rusty. But I'm telling you, the Bible says part of our inheritance of the saints in the light is that God has delivered us from the power of darkness. That's anything that's not part of that zoe. Anything that is not part of that life is darkness. Let me, I, in my spirit, you know, because I've, I've, I've just spent years and years praying over this church, praying over this congregation. Some of you have been standing for years for a breakthrough in business to receive a manifestation of healing for something that you want to purchase or buy, for something you want to do in ministry, whatever it is, you've been, you, it's kind of like you're just, you're just, Lord, I'm doing everything I can do. I'm, I'm believing you. But still, you have to understand that darkness always tries to inhibit and impede the movement of light in your life. Therefore, you've got to get in and dig into your life and find out, is there anything in my life that is causing the darkness to be magnetic toward me, to come to me? which could be attitudes, which could be... Oh, we're not going to go into all that. We'll teach on that later. But you must understand it is the will of God that you be delivered. Now notice the word what? Power. Now that's not the word, you know, in Acts chapter 8 it says where you shall receive power. The, the word dunamis, we get the word dynamite, an outward working of power. This is another word which means authority. You say, what do you mean by that? The devil has no dunamis, dunamis. Let me try that again. See, that's what a lot of people think. He's got dunamis. He's got outward power. He can just do this and do that. No, 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 he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He has no creative power. Therefore, he must get into that group of people who have creative power. Who has creative power? Humanity. 
Humanity is made in the likeness and image of God. You want to create a hurricane? Get into humanity. Start making predictions and naming them. You want to stop all hurricanes? Go shut down the hurricane center. You say, what do you mean by that? Quit giving them identity. Quit giving them direction. Quit giving them all, give them everything man get Everything that is wrong with the earth, Satan used humanity in its darkness to create it. But the Bible says, God hath delivered us from the authority, from the power of darkness. Come on, church. God hath delivered us from the power of darkness. But the next part of that, oh, I like the next part. And hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Everybody say translated. So you've been delivered and translated. I said you've been delivered and translated. You say, now what do you mean by that? One takes you out of something, the other puts you into something. And that's the problem that a lot of us have is we rejoice over what we've been taken out of while not even realizing or recognizing what we've been brought into. Amen? But through redemption, God can... See, to deliver somebody, you've got to go to where they are. You know, if you're on your way home after church today and you're crossing the causeway, you get on the other side right there by the Tiki Island turnoff and your tire starts getting low, goes flat. So you call me up and you say, uh, hey, brother, I say I got a flat tire uh, over here uh, right on the other side of the causeway. Can you come deliver me? Well, I can't translate you to where I am and fix your flat tire. I've got to go to where you are. If I was to say something like, well, I'll pray about it. That's not going to do you any good. I got I to gotta load up the truck. I got to get the stuff. I got to come to where you are. God... In Christ Jesus came to where we were. He came to where humanity was spiritually. Separated from God. Broken down. Sick. You you name the negative trait of humanity. Jesus Christ came to where we were. And He came to where we were so that He might provide for us redemption so that He could bring us to where He is. He delivered us to translate us. He delivered us to translate us. He delivered us to translate us. The type and shadow, which thank God that's why it pays to study your Old Testament. The type and shadow of is is Israel. Where Jesus Christ, encompassed in Him, is both the Moses and Joshua anointing. The Moses anointing, bring you out of Egypt. The Joshua anointing, bring you into the promised land. Both of those combined in Christ. So what he did is he went in and he got a whole nation. How did he do it? He went to where they were. They were in Goshen, the northern part of Egypt. They were living up there as slaves. They'd been abused for almost 400 years. After the death of Joseph, people forgot about his wisdom. They forgot about how he saved the nation. And Israel went into slavery. In that slavery, they cried out and God heard their cry. And God sent a deliverer. He, oh man, he raised up a deliverer in the house of Pharaoh. How smart is God? We don't even want to get into that. How smart is God? I'll tell you what to do. I'm going to send you a deliverer and I'm going to let Pharaoh's daughter raise him. That's what he did. 
And then Moses came on the scene and they brought them out. Ten mighty miracles. Judgment against all of the demon gods of, of Egypt. Brought them through the Red Sea, a type of baptism. Kept them in the, in the wilderness with the manna type of the word. Uh, the cloud by night, uh, the fire by day type of the Holy Spirit. And literally brought them up to a point and said, Now, I've delivered you. Now I want to translate you. I want you to have your farms and your ranches and your businesses and your cities and your, and your armies for protection and, and, your, and your government and everything. I want you to have all of that. And what did they say? No. Don't want to do that. So they died in the wilderness. Except for two guys. Named Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb are a type of the believer in the New Testament church today. Because they made a decision. We're not going to let... Two million people. You say, now come on, Pastor. Two million people can't be wrong. Yes, they can. They can be wrong. That proves it right there. They made a decision. We're not going to bow. We're not going to burn. We're going to serve God. And if we've got to do it an extra 40 years to get to the promised land, that's what we're going to do. And when Joshua went in and when Caleb went in, Caleb especially, at age 80 years old, he said, I have the strength of my youth. Give me my mountain. And Joshua was translated into the provision of God for Israel under that old covenant. Now, let me close with this. I said I just preached 15 minutes. so it's... The problem with a lot of believers is they get delivered out of, and that's where they live their whole life. They live their whole life delivered out of. Thank God for what you've been. Pastor, I came out of drugs, and I came. And sometimes we're so relieved. We're just so relieved. I don't have to do drugs no more. I don't have to drink no more. I don't have to be an egomaniac anymore. I don't have to be a perverse person anymore. Thank God I'm delivered out of. And then you live in this limbo place in your life in which nothing ever changes. You really never see the real miraculous or the supernatural of God. You really never have the provision that God wants you to have. You just kind of sit in the desert your whole life. That doesn't mean you're not going to go to heaven. That doesn't mean God won't have mercy on you. That doesn't mean uh, a whole myriad of things that will not be relevant to your life won't be relevant. What it means is you'll never fulfill the purpose in which God intended you to be born again for. Now let me say this. This, this might help some of you. Because what we consider many times is ourself instead of considering God. And listen, since I'm coming up on 35 years of living this way, this is one of the first realities that really hit my spirit that helped me to serve God the way I do today. And that is this. Anytime self is involved in decisions, you're in trouble. Self will lean toward the side of comfort. Self will rejoice about what God has delivered you out of while never mustering the courage to go into what He's translated you into. And so you live in this kind of a, a limbo state. and You know, I mean, there are times God will heal you. There'll be blessings. But actually entering in to the fullness of what you've been translated into, which that's what we have been trying to communicate to you, beginning with you being a new creature in Christ, beginning with you being the righteousness of God in Christ, beginning with you being more than a conqueror, beginning with all these reality truths that you must understand about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? So when you make the decision to step out of comfort, you say, what is comfort? Comfort is everything that dictates to you that anything spiritual invades your comfort zone. Now, let's all get on the same page. 
I, I don't know if you can get on the same page with me or not. But I'm 63 years old. I plan on serving God till I step over into heaven. But this is not my vision of serving God at all. Period. Zero. I've lived in my vision of serving God. I've done it. I know what it is. And I'm going to get back to it. You say, what do you mean by that? Continual, continual times in the presence of God. Week after week, month after month, year after year. People getting saved, healed, filled. You say, now wait a second. What are, you, what are you talking about? There was a time in my life that I just lived in revival. I lived in revival. Now God would not allow me to do that unless it was His purpose to bring a church into that same place. And you talk about a fight. That's a fight. And it's a fight of faith. But what it is, is convincing a group of people that God has so much more for you than what you're currently enjoying. God has so much more for you than even your imagination can come up with. God has so much more for you, even if it means every day after work, you go to a meeting. Every day after work, you go to a prayer meeting. Every day after work, you go and you give money. Every day after you do something, when revival breaks out and moves of God breaks out, it's so supernatural, it affects everything about your life, even your time management. In the Welsh Revival, Men and women would go to work and work all day long and come to church. I heard the story of a little boy. He was just a little boy at the time. And his mom would bring him to church and they would be walking to church and they would say, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. Let's hurry, let's get to church. Because a big ball of fire out of heaven would come and fall and hit the church and they would be in services sometimes till 3 and 4 in the morning. And the men would go and have, and have breakfast and go right back to work and, and not, sometimes not even sleep for weeks at a time and never suffer sleep deprivation and do more work than anybody else on the job. And in the cities, people would try to drink alcohol in the bars and come under the conviction of the Holy Ghost, and the bars shut down, and the brothels shut down, and the sins shut down, and God brought revival to that entire area. Why did that happen? Because someone believed God it could. And it's all part of this scripture. God delivering us out of the darkness and translating us into the kingdom of His dear Son. We go in one at a time, two at a time, three at a time, five at a time, ten at a time, twenty at a time. I've been listening to some of the revivalists of our generation, John Kilpatrick from Pensacola, different people like that, who talked about how totally out of left field, just, just serving God and, and doing everything they could do, then all of a sudden, here came this wave of the move of God that shook an entire generation. Some of them get a little off in some areas, off in other areas. Nobody's ever going to have something that's perfect. It's just going to be what God does. I remember when uh, uh, the, the move of God broke out up at Evangelistic Temple in Houston, Texas. Brian Rudd preaching revival went on week after week after week after week after week. Most of the church left. Got up, packed up, we're out of here. We ain't coming to church every night. But the church was packed every night. I remember F.E. Ward telling me the stories of all the hippies that would come. They'd be smoking on their cigarettes, drinking their Coca-Colas, leaving their bottles in the church. And the church was all mad because these people were disgracing their building. And Austin Wilkerson, who was the pastor, came down to Galveston and walked the beach for two hours, praying in the Holy Ghost, saying, God, what do I do? Do I try to restore my church or do I go with what you're doing? And the Lord said, you have to go with what God says do. And God caused a revival to shake Houston, Texas to the point that they were carrying boxes of drugs out of those meetings. So many people were getting delivered. 
who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. Thank God we can live in that. But there's another move. There's two crossings in the life of every believer. You've got to come out of what the enemy used to cause you to be possessed by in your life. You've got to come out of sin, come out of drugs, come out of alcohol, come out of a perverse lifestyle. Come out. Listen, that's one of the most unpopular messages. Many churches today, well, I've even used the word sin, but sin is real and sin is destructive and the wages of sin is death. But the good news is you can come out. You can be cleansed. You can be pure. You can be whole. But you can also be translated into the what? The kingdom. The dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where Jesus has dominion over everything in your life. Dominion over your health. Dominion over your finances. Dominion over your family. Dominion over your children. Dominion over your job. Dominion over everything in your life. It's hard to sweat it when you live like that. That's why Jesus said, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Amen? Amen. Lift your hands and thank the Lord. Father, we thank you. We worship you today. We glorify your name. We exalt you, Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Just a moment. I've said this before. I don't know why I'm prompted by the Holy Ghost to say this. When I first began to serve the Lord 35 years ago, a lot was taught on commitment and consecration. And I'd already been a loser at that for a long time. As a young child growing up in a Pentecostal church where God was moving mightily, I spent a lot of hours at the altar reconsecrating myself to the Lord, making a commitment to God. Then when I came back to the Lord, it's like I stepped right back into the same realm. There was a prayer movement going on that was out of Dallas and a lot was being taught on praying early in the morning. I couldn't muster it. I just couldn't get it going. I started Bible school. I was not a very good student. I had a lot of opposition just here on the island. I had people coming to me, telling me that associating with Brother Hagen and Brother Osteen, people like that, wasn't of God. People were telling me that. People would come to me and tell me that. And I remember in my frustration over the prayer issue, I, I told the Lord, every time I've made a commitment or consecration to you, I have failed. And the Lord spoke to me and said, the reason you fail is because it comes out of your soul. It comes out of your mind. It comes out of your emotions. It comes out of your will. And I said, Lord, what am I going to do? I'm in the same trap I was in when I was a kid. Now here I am 28 years old, and I'm in the same trap again. Every time I, every time I do not fulfill my commitment, live up to my consecration, here comes the guilt, here comes the condemnation, and I just cannot seem to muster with my own willpower the ability to break that. And the Lord spoke to me so tenderly and kindly. And He said this. He said, I don't want your commitment. That, that blew all of my religion right there because that's what everybody had been preaching. I don't want your consecration. That blew my... I learned later, consecration has to do with assignments. People were trying to teach it as life and lifestyle. It doesn't work like that. God gives you an assignment. You have to consecrate yourself to that assignment. I have consecrated myself to pastoring Island Church, to building that building, to doing missions all around the world. I've consecrated myself to that. 
I was trying to use that for something it wasn't intended to be used for. Here's what God said. He said, Rusty, I gave you my life. Give me yours and we'll be okay. That lifted all the weight of all of those consecrations, all that commitment. But you've got to understand what it means when God says, give me your life. You've got to understand what it means. A lot of people say, oh yeah, they'll do it in the emotion of a moment. But you've got to understand, what does that mean when you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to give you my life. What does that mean? You'll find out what it means once you make that decision to tell God, I give you my life. Several in here today, you love God, you're saved, you're filled with the Holy Ghost. But you spend a lot of time with guilt and condemnation. Because the enemy attacks your mind. Because many times in the excitement of a moment or of a meeting, you, you, you either say something to the Lord or you think something about, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And you always fall short of it. And the enemy gets in there and messes your mind up. And all of a sudden that guilt, that condemnation. Listen, that is always the enemy. Guilt and condemnation are not of God. They're of Satan. They're one of his tools he tries to use to get you into unbelief. And what people do is over and over and over, they try to enter into a realm of performance to God, not realizing God doesn't want your performance. He just wants you. And you say, well, pastor, what does that mean? He just wants me. That's the thing that's going to be between you and God. That's the thing you have to settle between you and God. I give you my life. You'll have to settle that between you and God. So this morning, you're here today. And you've carried that frustration. Maybe you've, it's just been a temporary thing. Maybe you've carried it for years. You think to yourself, man, I tell you, I've made so many commitments to God. I've consecrated this and done that and, and, and repented. And, this. and I'm telling you, I, I just can't seem to get any forward progress. God is just calling you this morning to give you His life. Give, you your life. give Him your life. Just give Him your life. Cancel all the commitments. Cancel all the consecrations. And say, God, I give my life to you. And then you go and you find out from God what that means. So what I'm going to do is this. I'm not going to have anybody come up to the altar or stand, but here's what I'm going to do. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. If you say, Pastor, that's me. I need today to give God my life. I'm tired of the frustration. I'm tired of the condemnation. I'm tired of the guilt. I'm tired of trying to serve God on a, on a soulish level in which my willpower can never really seem to muster an ability for me to do something that satisfies God or myself. But today, I'm just going to give Him my life. Just like you're tell telling me to do. That's what I'm going to do. I want you to lift your hand. Anybody like that? Anybody like that? Once you lift it, you can put it down. Many have lifted it. Anybody else? Just lift your hand. Say, that's me. That's me. Lots of people. Everybody look this way and pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, today, the thankfulness in my heart cannot be measured. You've redeemed me. You've purchased me. You've brought me out of a sinner's hell. And you've set my life toward heaven, which is my home. In the meantime, you delivered me from the power of darkness. You translated me into the kingdom or the dominion 
of your dear son. You did that by giving your life. So today, in return, I give you my life. Heavenly Father, we will speak about this privately so that I will know, you will know, you will communicate to me exactly what that means. What you tell me, Lord, I will obey. What you tell me, Lord, I will do. What you tell me, Lord, I will value and cherish as the wealth of my life. Thank you. You gave Jesus your only begotten Son. He took my sin. He took my iniquity. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. He is my healer. He is my heart's desire. You gave your life to me. I give my life to you. Now lift your hands and worship the Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, we worship you. Father, we worship you. Father, we glorify your name. Now let me, let me help you. As I look back to those months, weeks, days, in 1984, it's only the mercy of God that got me through that. But one thing on my part helped God. Say, what do you mean it helped God? I just couldn't live like I used to live anymore. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't live in the pain. I couldn't live in the addiction. I couldn't live in the hurt. I couldn't live in the, in the, in the violence. I couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't do it. And every time I would think about quitting, I would have this thought, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I go back in the drug world. Go back into the hate world, into the pain world. I, and, and, and that would so, in looking back, I used the darkness of my life as motivation to stay out of it. Understand this, church. This will help you. We'll close. All of us have people in our lives that are watching us. Especially people that are being dealt with by God. We don't realize how much God deals with people. He deals with them a lot, all the time. And our lives being lived out in front of them have a major effect. If you could only hear the conversations that are talked about you. Sure, some of them are negative, some of them are... But there are other conversations that are talked about you in which people are trying to transmit hope to one another about God. Amen? And us living for God, well, that's great, but us progressing in God makes their hope grow even stronger. I know in this area, I had a guy that I know who every Sunday he drives by our parking lot. And it was back in late January, early February, we had a, had a good-sized crowd and, and the parking lot across the street was filled up. And this guy didn't go to church anywhere. As far as I know, he never went to church. And so he drove by on that particular Sunday. And when I saw him on Monday, he said this. He said, man, 
You had a crowd yesterday, didn't you? I said, yeah. This is what he said. This is what he said. I don't even think he realized what he said. But this is what he said. I can't wait till y'all build that new church. Why would he say that? I'll tell you why. Because building that new church is the key to his salvation. That's how serious this stuff is. There's all kinds of people that are watching and thinking, yeah, is that one of them money cults? Or is that really God doing something? And there are indications, little blips on the radar, that God puts out there into the world, which are undeniable signs that God is doing this. And when we bought that land, I'm telling you, every demon force that this island has ever enjoyed the presence of rose up and began to fight. That was four years ago. And we had to wage a four-year victory campaign against the devil. And guess what? We're still here. We're still healthy. We're still strong. We're still giving to missions. We got people on the mission field right now helping the church. Come on, church. And we're going to build that building. And it ain't for us. It's for that, like that guy right there that passes by here and says, I can't wait till y'all build that new church. Isn't God good? Stand on your feet. Father, we bless your name today. Thank you so much for your presence in this service. The goodness of that which you do in our lives, the words that were spoken, the power that was released. Now, Lord, we take your word that you gave us at the first of the, of the service this morning, Psalms 91. We stand upon that word for our coming week. In our travel and transportation, highways, airways, seaways, railways, any other way we travel. Lord, in the, in the righteous labor of our hands, in our, in our own businesses, retail, education, oil patch, wherever we go, whatever we do, we declare no evil befalls us. No plague comes nigh our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. And we thank you, Heavenly Father. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the earth. Father, for that door of utterance, we thank you, each and every one of us. Our lives are preaching the gospel to this area. Let that influence increase. Let people see the victory, the joy, the peace, the righteousness. Let us see. Let them see we're not just a delivered people. We're a translated people. We ask that in Jesus' name. Father, we leave, leave today walking in faith and love towards you. Thank you that you love us so much. We walk in love toward one another. Thank you for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, and anointed by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.